is it Friday again? Yes, it's Friday. And this is your rather sickly, poorly British butler chappy. Yes, I, I, I'm not feeling great today. I had a bad back, you know, right under the hunchback of the butler under the neck. I'm the hunched butler at the moment. Um, but I've erected myself uh, rather manfully uh, for the next hour, hopefully. Uh, I'm, I'm checking my temperature as well. I mean, my temperature is normal. No need to worry. No need to panic. Uh, but this uh, this show, this podcast, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese, episode number 58, is uh, is elixir for the soul. It's, uh, it's like ginseng for the soul. And that's, that's how I see it. And... Uh, if it's making me feel better and stirring the loins for myself, hopefully your loins are being considerably stirred as well. Um, and it's Friday afternoon, so what is there not to like about uh, Friday afternoon? And uh, so, you know, we've got... You know, I don't know if you've ever had a suitcase before where you've had to put the belt around it, the zip's broken, and it's bursting full, and you, and you put it on the conveyor belt at the airport... And the whole thing pops open. I mean, it bursts open. It's like a, it gushes open, basically. Um, and that, that's the show for the next few days. We have lots and lots of uh, uh, material. Um, we never edit it, so it's the sort of good, the bad, and the ugly podcast being thrown into a, a rather sort of worn elderly suitcase uh, with a sort of misshapen belt around it. That, that That's how I like to see... Uh, this uh, this podcast basically. Uh, I mean, some of the things that we we may or may not be delving into uh, over the course of the next couple of podcasts. Uh, you see, I've given up. I've given up saying I'm going to include all of this in one podcast. I'm saying it's probably going to be uh, across today and tomorrow. Is 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 highly possible. Now, have you ever heard of the reverse keto? Well, you will today, and I'll explain it. Uh, I'll also be introducing my alter ego, Drew, or Drewski. Um, and also, um, have you ever called somebody on FaceTime and uh, something sort of odd happened when they answered? I, I know that's very mysterious, but I'll be enlightening you all uh, over the course of the uh, over the course of the next uh, hour or so. And um, I know I always like talking about how to make a proper cup of tea. But I see so many different articles describing how to make a cup, proper cup of tea. And apparently in different parts of the UK, there's different ways and different temperatures and all sorts of different things you have to do to make a cup of tea. And we also have the uh, mysterious Henry VIII lost crown found after 400 years. Now, whilst I was looking at this article, I also saw another article where they had recreated... Um, the figurine in the crown sort of eight, nine years ago and it was on display. Now, I, I don't know if it is the same crown. If it is, then I'm pretty proud of my research. It's another string to a rather threadbare bow, I suppose, that I can put on my uh, on my CV uh, if it ever happens. Um, so we're going to be looking at that as well. Um, have you ever had to get ready for a Zoom call? How many minutes has it taken you? Have you ever done it in under 10 minutes and blow drying your hair? I did today. Um, also, people in your life who listen to sort of interesting, rather indie, uh, rather uh, subversive type of music, I've, um, I've, I've come up with a new uh, FM station name, 
and, um, and, and and some of the possible names of some of the songs that they might be listening to that nobody has ever 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 heard of at all so i mean this is this is as i said is is ram packed as well as ramshackled uh type of uh, uh type of affair today um also we will be having some historical tinder either today or tomorrow um uh, some of the worst generals in uh, history we'll be looking at uh, also um my local county norfolk in the uk there's apparently a sort of um, Valentine's um, equivalent to Santa Claus called Jack Valentine. Now, I've never heard of him before, uh, but uh, but you know he's he's another he's another sort of local yokel called of Cupid, I suppose. Um, the gold tongue mummy. It'll be making an appearance as well. Uh, we'll be we'll be sort of trying to discover and research about the gold tongue mummy. Uh, we never uh, we never figured out how many butlers it would take to change uh, a light bulb and a chandelier. Now, maybe that's exactly what I need. A little bit of stretching of the spine. You know, I'm just doing a few gentle exercises as we speak. I'm, 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 I'm really lifting two buttered baguettes aloft as we speak, um, trying to loosen up the back here. Uh, we never talked about social pleasantries during COVID. Some very odd things that I've certainly discovered about social pleasantries during covid also the scent of your partner's shirt could make you sleep better and longer hmm, that's a sort of raised eyebrow there uh why women make better witnesses uh the duke and duchess of cambridge sorrow is uh, soothed over a, a, a dog that had a stroke um countess mountbatten of burma's treasures are a story of the century um and apparently boris and biden two got together on the telephone and they talked about their love of railways uh, and it puts US relations back on track. Uh, how does one pickle vegetables? Essential, I believe. Onion inside a soup with cheese toast. Maybe I'll be giving you that recipe as well. Clever dogs can pick up words like a toddler. Um, also, the murky fate of Romans, Britain's lost ninth legion. What happened to that lost Roman legion? Uh, also, Subway tuna sandwiches with no tuna. Uh, the first snowy owl has been in, seen in Central Park recently. Uh, we'll also um, be having an enigmatic English eccentric, eccentric possibly, and uh, some Trump or trombone, of course, where we look at the pretty much the awful headlines of the week and try to equate them to a rather awfully wah-wah sad trombone or a rasping, pretty disgusting Trump. Um, so that's what we have along the way uh, on the podcast today. Um, I'm, I'm going to try to. I'm, I've actually set up. I've got two bag, two tea bags uh, up in the air at the moment. They're on a drip at the moment, and they're providing me with extra strong PG Tips gold. So two tea bags. They're well above my head. You could say I'm being tea bagged, but not in that fashion. Uh, but it's keeping me going. It's keeping me awake and keeping me full stamina. For the course of this podcast so i can give you my best most wholesome most driven assertive effort for today's podcast keep going cauliflower cheese episode 58 so through the all these ailments and vaccines and everything else that's going uh, around at the moment uh, trying to get the uh, get the measure of the coronavirus i was thinking about some victorian medicines and remedies and we'll be going over some of these over the next couple of weeks here but one of them was the everlasting pill incredible as it might seem today this was a popular way to clear the body 
because of the popular belief that a person could feel ill and out of sorts because of an imbalance within their body. People thought that getting rid of all the badness inside of you would help cure you, with the aim of uh, purging the body of unwanted humours and ills. The everlasting pill was invented. The pill itself was very small and made of a metal now known to be toxic uh, uh, and antimony. Uh, Swallowing this would induce severe vomiting and diarrhoea, thus giving the body uh, what they thought to be a healthy cleanse. Worse still, though, the feces would be shifted and sifted through to retrieve the pill, uh, which was marketed as reusable. After a wash, it would be put back on the shelf ready for the next person to gulp down when they wished. Indeed, sometimes it passed through many people in the family. It could be passed down the generations. So scientists are closer to knowing where and when the dogs were first domesticated. Scientists believe that they have pinned down the origins of one of history's great friendships that between humans and dogs. A new analysis of ancient canine DNA has found that the earliest fork in the dog's lineage occurred 23,000 years ago. The results show that by this point, uh, dogs had become distant from walls which they evolved. It's our first definitive evidence, our first really smoking gang by 23,000 years that we have dogs domesticated, Angela Perry of the Archaeology Department of Durham University. And it's not only that, it's, all, it's likely that 23,000 year old dog ancestors are in Siberia, or came from Siberia. For decades it's been unclear whether dogs were domesticated in Europe, China or Central Asia or all of these regions independently. The findings published in the Journal of Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences support the idea that they first emerged uh, in Beringia, a region that includes portions of modern-day Russia, Canada and Alaska. During the Ice Age it would have been cold and dry. It wasn't quite as chilly and arid as the surrounding areas which had made refuge for mammoths, woolly rhinos and horses, as well as the species that hunted them, which included people and wolves. Uh, the population of wolves from dogs descended through genetic evidence indicates it is now that now extinct may first have drawn to the scrape heaps created at uh, human campsites. Dr. Perry believes that their scavenging is like to have started the relationship between the two that eventually led to dog domestication. And I think in my household, some of the dogs are more closer to the wolf than others. I've got a little rat terrier, talked about him before, Snaggletooth Jack, as he likes to be called. And uh, I think he's pretty, pretty close uh, to, to a wolf. I mean, I mean, not in terms of stature and size, but certainly in terms of temperament, aggression, and uh, hatred of everything around him. The scent of your partner's shirt can make you sleep better and longer. I'm sure all of you have had ex-girlfriends, boyfriends, husbands, wives, uh, that smell like magic and rainbows and really fancy organic laundry detergent. Um, but some get kind of obsessed with each other's smells. Um, in his article, the, uh, the writer uh, once uh, talked about his ex-girlfriend and she left a t-shirt tangled in, her, in his sheets after a sleepover. Instead of fishing it out and returning it to her, he left it there. And that night, he slept better and longer than he did in ages. And uh, he thought it was just the magic of sort of queer romance. But there turns out that there's science behind why people sleep better with a lover's shirt on. There's a lot of research that shows the health benefits stemming from the physical presence of our romantic partners, ranging from stress regulation to sleep quality, says Francis Chen, a professor of psychology at the University of British Columbia. And they did a study investigating whether sleeping with a, 
uh, with a uh, olfactory reminder of a, a bow shirt can improve their sleep, even if that bow wasn't present. It it does turn out so all the folks are wondering whether it's creepy to smell partners clothes but i guess it depends what you're sticking your nose into uh can chill out and accept that sometimes science is creepy uh, for the study chen and her co-author uh, melise hoffer gave participants each of their partners actual shirt to use as a pillowcase or a placebo a look-alike shirt i mean one of my shirts could probably uh probably be used as one of Richard Branson's balloons. Um, so I don't think it would be a huge pillow if, if, if one decided to use my shirt as a pillowcase. So maybe it could be a, a, a pillow for an emperor bed or something along those lines. People who slept with their bow shirt and not only reported that they slept better, but they also slept about nine minutes longer than those with the placebo. I wonder what the placebo, you know, the placebo is. Is it some sort of rugby player's jockstrap or something? Now, that would be a rather nasty placebo um, or some sort of maybe panty placebo. Um, I could really use that extra hour of sleep a week, so I can't help but be jealous of all the partnered people out there, uh, says Chen, that single folks may be able to recreate the effect. Although our attachments to our romantic partners can be very strong, I would expect that the scent of any loved ones, a family member, close friend, or even a pet could be considered comforting. Yeah, well, Jack's farting isn't particularly comforting, but it may comatose me sometimes. This may explain why I left, let my pit bull spoon me, even though she snores like crazy, says the author. Uh, Chen uh, prostulates that the comfort of a scent isn't necessarily about mating or romance. I think it's about love and attachment. We're currently starting a new study to see if a mother's scent can help her infant baby sleep better. Chen says the scientists aren't yet sure why the scent of a loved one is so soothing. It could be that the familiar scent of a loved one is a, is a cue that they're recently in the area. I mean, I, I guess it's not too far away from sort of dogs lifting them legs, but I don't think you'd want your partner to lift your leg all over you unless you're somewhat kinky or something. Um, but who knows? I mean, my my uh, dear dad, you know, many moons ago, smelled pretty meaty. Um, you know, he had a butcher shop and all. Now, that's not a smell that I would particularly want to smell when I go to sleep. Um, but you know what? Um, when I go home and take all my laundry, I mean, n normally, as I said, I do I do butler's duties and laundry uh, for the master of the tower here. And um, and uh, but when I do go home, I take all my laundry with me. Uh, Mother does wash them, and she has a very comforting uh, laundry detergent smell that reminds me of good old England. I mean, it could be uh, the furrowed plow going through, or maybe the Maybe the scent of the orchard or something along those. I don't know what it is, but it's a very it's a very refreshing, rewarding smell. So maybe that's the key. I could take a, instead of um, you know taking uh, a girlfriend's sort of panties or something. It might be better to take a freshly laundered sweater that my uh, mother washed in, in 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 detergent that I remember from uh, those uh, Harlequin Harlison days um, many moons ago. That, uh, that, uh, that that could be rather reminiscent of one's youth and help me sleep at night. Who knows? Um, I mean, it's also, does one sleep better in the bed when you know, somebody's in there with them? Or, or is it too hot? Is it too crowded? Do you have dogs in the bed as well? You know, as I said, I mean, if I'm wedged between um, sort of a rock and a hard place, i.e. two dogs, 
it, uh, it, it you know it could be it could be like being in the Sahara Desert. It's that's how hot it is, uh, but a little bit more humid, a little bit more sweaty uh, than the Sahara. So I don't know. I mean that that's key. But as I said, fresh laundry smell do help, and I think being comforted at night, uh, either snuggling and spooning Jack or or your loved one, is is the way to to possibly fall asleep at night, and also having the window open as well. That blows away the cobwebs and the bad smells. So I'm sure you've all heard of the the keto keto diet. Um, it's sort of high fat, high protein, no carbs or very low carb. Now the other day I was in, introduced to what I like to call, I think, the reverse keto. Uh, and that's where you take out of a McDonald's breakfast sandwich uh, the meat and the egg. And then you're just left with, I'm, I'm going to say the scone. I was going to say the scone because that's what it reminds me of. It's a scone and a biscuit are very, very similar. The English scone and the American biscuit are very similar. But you're just left with the biscuit, a buttered biscuit with a slight hint or essence of bacon and egg on it. And I love it, love it dearly, but why would you do that? If you're on a keto, I mean, surely that's defeating the whole purpose of, uh, of the keto. Uh, taking the egg and the Canadian bacon or bacon, whatever it was, out of the out of the sandwich. But you know, this is this may be the way forward. It's like the standing desk. I mean, everybody's into standing up um, at the moment. Oh, just hold on a second. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm just, I'm just squeezing one of my tea bags here, make it extra strong. This is the PG Tips drip. I'm gonna have a little sip now. Mm. Oh, that's strong, lovely, radiant, rosy glow to it and um anyway with the standing desk so you know you have the standing desk everybody's into this this whole standing desk fad and craze at the moment where everybody stands up all day it's exhausting i mean i i'm really campaigning and this is one of my campaigns i mean i i'm sort of campaigning at the same time as the um yorkshire pudding association of america i mean what better than to have a break from work you know, be laying on a futon instead of the standing desk. You have a, a lower desk that which has a futon, and you're laying down, and you're consuming a couple of Yorkshire puddings at the same time. Now that is luxury to me. That is absolute. Uh, that is absolute luxury to me. So I see that. I see the whole. Um, the, you know, I see the the sort of whole keto thing is 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 similar to the standing desk. It's, it's sort of a fad at the moment. It really does work though, uh, from what I can tell. Not that I. You know, I'm on a very high Yorkshire pudding diet, as I said, washed down with lashings of tea, uh, and maybe uh, maybe the odd cream scone. Um, but uh, but but uh, you know, I, I think uh, maybe the maybe the essence of bacon or uh, or egg uh, is a key to this uh, to this reverse keto. I mean, to be honest, the biscuit was absolutely delicious, but. Uh, no, I would love, uh, do need some of the breakfast necessities in there as well. So we have the double whammy of Henry VIII stories this week. We love, love a little bit of Henry VIII. All of his temper, divorce, oversex monarchy and uh, rule, the ulcered legs, the uh, large suit of armor, the uh, really quite sizable codpieces. Uh, all of that is absolutely f fantastic. But here we go. So the lost crown. This is this is eight years ago, and it's going to merge 
um, and evolve into the second article. The lost crown of Henry VIII has been recreated in miniature detail down to the last pearl and thumbnail size enamel sculpture almost 400 years after the original was melted, uh, along with every scrap of raw regalia Cromwell's government lay its hands on. The crown, which will be exhibited at Hampton Court Palace, this is in 2012, where Henry wore the original on great occasions of state and church. It will be displayed in the Royal Pew of the Chapel of the Royal. The crown uh, has been made for Henry's father, Henry VII, was used in the coronations of his children, Edward, Mary and Elizabeth, and then James I and Charles I. It was a sacred object that was seen in a portrait by Daniel Mitins in 1631. And uh, crucial evidence historians have poured over ever, ever since. Every surviving image and account shows Charles I standing bareheaded uh, by a velvet-draped table on which the crown uh, is in uh, is scrupulous detail. In 1649, Charles was beheaded in Whitehall and the crown was broken up at the Tower of London. The gold went straight into the mint for coinage and the jewels were sold off uh, in mixed packets like loose sweets of the heap of centuries-old treasures, only one 12th-century spoon of man uh, escaped the melting pot. Henry's crown is first mentioned as the King uh, Kinga's crown of Goldie in an inventory of his jewels in 1521, Kent Rawlinson and uh, Aileen Pierce historians and the staff of the historic royal palaces. Upon Henry's death in 1547, when every royal cupboard was turned out to record everything from torn bedsheets to the crown and its uh, 344 gems, Nine pearls, not one of them out of sorts, and three sapphires were on the crown. So this is a, this is a, this is the crown that was recreated for Hampton Court Palace in 2012. So we have that. But so this this article was last week, and I'm wondering if it's the same crown. So the centerpiece of Henry VIII's lost crown has been found under a tree. By an amateur treasure hunter, Kevin Duckett ended a 400-year-old mystery when he dug up a solid gold figurine in a Northamptonshire field. The 500-year-old gold uh, centerpiece of the Henry VIII's lost crown has been unearthed, and this was the crown that had uh, been uh, researched and um, and restored, uh, not in its original fashion, in 2012. The two and a half inch uh, wide piece, one of the five on the Tudor crown, is now in the British Museum and is worth over two million. Experts say it's one of the most significant finds by an amateur. Thrilled Kevin unearthed it near Market Harbour. At first, I wonder if it's a crumpled foil dish from 1970s Mr. Kipling product. Uh, but I've been there for 20 minutes and found nothing with the metal detector. Then I got a very loud positive signal from the detector. It was lodged in the side of a hole just a few inches down. I brushed off the soil and sat in amazement. The rush of adrenaline and the buzz of excitement started to flow through my body when I saw the heavy, solid gold enameled figurine. Historians feared the relic was lost for good when Oliver Cromwell abolished the monarchy in 1649 and beheaded King Charles I. And uh, Cromwell ordered the £7.6 six ounce crown valued by the Parliament then at £1,100 uh, to be melted down and made into coins. It had 344 precious stones were sold separately, um, but Kevin took his fine home to Fleckney, cleaned it up and contacted his lo uh, liaison officer before starting his own research. Um, Kevin discovered SH St. Henry inscribed in the bottom. By chance, he had read the article detailing how Henry VIII altered his crown during the 36-year reign. Uh, the the decorative of Lily, uh, linked to royalty, the sapphires, originally adorned by the three figures of Christ and St. George. Henry VIII removed the figures of Christ and replaced them with three saint kings, uh, St. Edmund, Edward the Confessor, and uh, Henry VI. And he wore the crown 
uh, during his um, uh, during his coronation. Um, but uh, when Charles fled, Charles I fled Cromwell after the Battle of Naseby and travelled the route where Kevin found the treasure, it's possible it became detached as Charles escaped or is buried to keep it from Cromwell. So the lost crown that thought was lost and melted by, down by Cromwell the Protector was found in a field by Kevin and his uh, humble metal detector. So from Henry VIII to my American alter ego. So I, I felt that I need, I've been living in the States for a long time, incredibly, Bob was incredibly English, British, but, and um, I, I feel that I need like an American alter ego. And uh, sort of thinking that maybe my alter ego could be called Drew or Drewski. Um, so I think my alter ego would be a little bit more greasier than me, very slippery in the hands. Um, could probably slip through your fingers because I'm so greasy and slippery. Um, uh, probably um, very persistent, huge amounts of, you know, that good old American stamina. And, um, at, you know, probably not particularly flaky, good solid, you know, made of good solid stuff um, that could, uh, that can, you know, please everybody the world over. I think that would be uh, my, my, my alter ego. But, you know, a rather sort of slippery fellow in the wrong hands, I suppose, and not to everybody's taste. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm going to keep going with the alter ego, Drew or Drewski, or uh, maybe I'm just going to keep, uh, keep Chappy the butler, probably maybe best, and uh, I don't think I could play a Yankee Doodle on a, uh, on a wooden, uh, wooden flute or anything like that. Is that part of becoming an American? Do you have to play Yankee Doodle on some sort of wooden flute? Or maybe you're not like a skin whistle or anything. But anyway, uh, there we go. That's Drewski. And um, I'm going to see what I'm going to see how uh, how the Drewski alter ego evolves down the road. So experts say hardly any of us know how to make a proper cup of tea. And research says Mancunians make the best brew. So Mancunians are from Manchester, for all of the world listeners out there. Experts have found that only 2% of Brits now uh, know how to make a cup of tea correctly. Seeing as we're renowned for our being tea obsessives, that might come as a surprise to many. Yorkshire Tea knows a thing or two about a brew, and they say it should be leaving the tea bag in for four to five minutes. So no over-excessive use of the tea bag, no extra tea bagging to unlock all the flavor. Now research shows that Brits only brew tea for between 10 seconds and one minute, well under the recommended time. Uh, Tick Watchers surveyed a total of 2,000 adults about their tea preference. Just one in 50 uh, percent of tea drinkers follow the four to five minute guidance. Shamefully, we're three times more likely to take it out under 10 seconds. Yeah, you don't want to dip and take it out too quickly. That's just ridiculous. And then uh, we're about to uh, then brew it for the full amount of time. Here's where it gets competitive. They broke it down by region. Mancunians come up top for making the best brews. 5% of them heed expert advice and wait for the full four minutes, which is more than any other city. Millennials 25 to 34 trend to drink their strongest tea, brewing for 1 minute 17 on average, while the over 65 
like my dear old dad, prefer the weakest brew with uh, a, a, an average of one minute, uh, six seconds. I mean, come on, dad, you know, dip the bag in there for longer than that. You're as weak as water, man. So these are the brewing times that we have. Uh, we have uh, Manchester, one minute, 26 seconds. Uh, in Southampton, on the south coast, one minute, 20 seconds. Nottingham, one minute, 14. London, uh, an awful one minute, 14. Norwich, one minute, 10 seconds. That's, you know, that's the local brew for my dad. One minute, 10 seconds in Norwich is the average. One minute, two seconds in Leeds. Glasgow, 59 seconds. But then they probably do reuse the tea bag, knowing the Scottish. Uh, 56 seconds with Birmingham and 47 seconds for Bristol. What are they doing in Bristol, for God's sake? For only 47 seconds? That's absolutely redonkulous. Um, no, I, I, I leave it in for a good, uh, good five minutes. Good dipping. I, I press the spoon in to bring out the flavor. And I do want, as I said many times before in the podcast, that reddish tint. But there we go. Mancunians have the strongest brew. Alright, this is time for a little break. I'm allowed a I'm allowed a break now and again, aren't I? You know, when it comes to the podcast here. I'm gonna this is the beautiful brew here, seriously. Top of the afternoon to you. Mmm. Oh that really does uh, warm all the cockles. So do love Hugh. Do love Hugh Grant. Uh, so hacked off Hugh. In his uh, in his sort of uh, alter ego, he's got an alter ego too, hacked off Hugh on Twitter. So he said, ideas for London dog owners, instead of letting your dog dung on the pavement and then wiping it all, leaving a big smear or not at all, encourage your dog to do it in your house, preferably on your pillow. So this is Hugh. I mean, he's, he's becoming a sort of grumpy old man, I think. Um, and some of the responses on Twitter, a better idea, carry around a folded up sheets of newspaper, tabloid, not broadsheet. At the moment of release, catch the plop in the newspaper, wrap it up into a stinky burrito and then put it in your, into your doggy bag. The dog plop never touches the ground and you'll only need, need uh, one bag a day. Um, and then and, and another comment, well said, if it had been left to me, I'd have neighborhood police that empowers the excrement any dog fouling in public and arrest the owner. Uh, and then uh, a great idea for dog owners everywhere. Uh, stepping in it is bad, but when you uh, have a manual wheelchair, uh, anything you uh, wheel through inevitably ends up on your hands. Um, and then living in Aberdeen in 2007, uh, uh, the doctor ran over some leaves and up came the dog poo all over my hands. Uh, I pick up after my dogs. I think dogs should have to wear the same thing as horses, that little leather thing that collects all the muck and wafts it in the owner's direction. Uh, and uh, horse uh, poo is grass, it's non-toxic and doesn't smell after a couple of minutes. These things you're talking about uh, to catch the poo only work if the horse has been driven, not ridden. Um, so, <laughs> and then uh, Julia says, hate that, uh, agree that many dog poo bags are biodegradable, but I still put them in the bins for waste, not leave them hanging on the floor. Um, and then um, Elizabeth said, alternatively, carefully pick it up, put it in a small plastic bag and then hang it on a tree. Why do people hang it on a tree? I mean, it's impossible to pick this stuff up sometimes. You do your best. You do your humanly possible best. I mean, I do remember when I lived in Chicago 
and uh, my poor border collie Eddie in the middle of the night it was minus 30 put on the balaclava double PJs on uh, turtleneck everything was on and I took the dog down I, I was really worried about the whole elevator ride down and then uh, and Eddie did his business and uh, went back upstairs the next day I saw a rather obnoxious yuppie sort of chap get out of a Porsche and he stood right in Eddie's waist and uh, the uh, air was blue with curse words um, but anyway, going back to Hugh Grant, and um, he's got some supporters on Twitter about this whole subject, some not. But uh, the last one was, uh, <clears throat> what was the last thing you picked up off the street, hey, Hugh? So we have another lovely enigmatic English eccentric. So Arthur with no arms and no legs. Not for nothing did the Long Riders Guild describe Arthur McMorrow Kavanagh, the heter- hereditary high king of Le- uh, Leinster, as the most astonishing equestrian explorer of the 19th century. For though his arms were mere stumps, only just able to meet across his chest, and his legs virtually non-existent, a curse laid on by his mother, Lady Herrick Kavanagh, was blamed, he completed an astonishing 5,000-mile journey from Ireland to India via Norway, Russia, and the Caspian Sea and the Persian Gulf. Whilst being born with no arms and legs might deter him, uh, deter many of us from pursuing a career on horseback, Arthur spent several months on arrival in India, working as an official government dispatch rider on the west coast before returning by sea to manage the estates at home. Uh, His saddle can be seen today at the Boris house. Arthur, who produced four sons and three daughters, did not see himself as unusual. On visiting a friend in a remote part of the country, he was heard to remark, It's extraordinary. I haven't been here for ten years, but the station master recognised me instantly. So, as I said, part of my issue, I think, today is staying up most of the night watching and listening cricket. Now, it's a wondrous sport. It's very elegant, very gentlemanly, stopping for tea, stopping for lunch. Pristine whites. You know, all gentlemen should wear what the whites. And the floppy hats, crisp shirts, very starched. Um, but anyway, it, it, sort of the England-India test series that start, started in Chennai yesterday um, did, uh, did remind me back to 1993 where I, one of the first series I ever watched was India play uh, England in three test matches. Um, you had Venkapati um, Raju, uh, Chauhan, Kumble, the spinners, um, I mean, to be honest, Chauhan looked like he was throwing a baseball. That's how bent his arm was. Uh, but uh, we were completely thrashed. But there was the infamous incident in Chennai, was known as Madras in those days, where uh, a couple of the England team members, or more than a couple, ate some rather dodgy prawns the night before the match. And um, they uh, weren't going to be in the runs, but they had the runs, basically. Um, and uh, it, it made me it made me very reminiscent of that an absolute disaster on the day of the match they were thinking about getting people out of the press box to play but so many of the people were sick uh, but Mike Gatting the rather rotund Henry VIII looking Mike Gatting um, who never missed out on any meal in his life uh, reveals what made him sick during the 1993 Madras uh, Madras test so I mean he um he did, he, you know, he, he certainly loved, loved a curry, loved a, loved a Ruby Murray. And um, 
The legend is that former England batsman Mike Gatting took ill on a trip in India in 1993 after he decided to trust his stomach with some prawns. However, Gatting, who was in India a few months ago, uh, denied that the seafood delicacy was the reason he fell ill. I love doing things I enjoy. I love eating, eating prawns. It's a very nice story about the Madras test, but I don't think it was the prawns that made me miss the test in Madras. There were probably four or five of us who remember the previous morning Graham Hick had got the bug and it went viral. Uh, Gatting now 62 in hindsight said uh, that the others uh, shouldn't have played the test. I remember it the most embarrassing moment in my test career. I should not have been on the field, but I went out to the field. I dropped a fairly easy catch, perhaps the easiest catch I ever dropped in the field. They said that if it had been a cheese roll, uh, I would have caught it. But I mean, I think jumping up to um, take a catch after maybe some dodgy prawns probably wasn't the best idea. So we have another little session of Trump or Trombone where we take some of the most despicable headlines and stories in the week and we equate it to a Trump or a Trombone. The first on the Oki this week, a woman urged to throw away her husband after sharing how he put leftover food in the fridge. So once again, the poor husband, uh, he wasn't mansplaining on this occasion, but a TikTok user named Sarah Jade has gone viral after sharing a video of uh, an absolutely hilarious way her husband decided to put over the leftover food in the fridge. Um, it seems like the simplest of the task can sometimes completely and utterly baffle people, as one wife found out. Sarah Jade uploaded a clip of the results of a chore she asked her husband to do. The woman simply instructed her partner to put away the leftovers after dinner, and she did, uh, and he did what he was told, but not in the way that she expected. Sarah Jade went into the fridge uh, a little while later and was left cracking up when she noticed how her husband had stored the remains of the meal. Instead of putting and plating the extra food or putting it in a plastic container, the man had simply placed the entire slow cooker with the food still inside into the uh, indeed into the fridge um so i mean we should, it urges urges her to throw away her husband um but i mean would you put the husband into the black green uh, uh rubbish trash can uh or would you just throw him straight into the trash crusher what he should have just said is listen to implicitly and just said yes dear <coughs> And a mother is mortified after daughter tells her that having a side party means that she's really old. A mum was less shocked when her daughter announced that having her hair parted at the side makes her very old. Uh, Chantel shared the revelation on TikTok. The mum was responding to a video by another woman on social media who said that she is forcing a middle part every day because I don't want the Gen Z to think I'm old. In a video that's been more, uh, shared more than 5.4 million times, Chantel was clearly gossmacked to learn that side partings are apparently a major fashion faux pas. Uh, jokingly fumed at a daughter's response uh, that said uh, is it a side parting just for old people I was wondering if her daughter had a curl in the middle of her forehead when she was uh, good she was very very good and when she was bad she was horrid and America's first ever attempt at a full English breakfast branded trash by unimpressed Brits. An amateur cook in America is called to stir on social media after sharing a look at his first ever attempt at making a full English breakfast for, uh, for his partner. The full English uh, is a staple of British cuisine, and as such as Brits take it very personally whenever somebody tries to mess with one. A Reddit user from the US recently found out the hard way that after sharing the attempts at uh, whipping one up, um, uh, called great uh, castication. The unnamed uh, home cook took to uh, the forum to share a look at the first ever full English breakfast they made. As an American, I'm trying to cook my partner English food. Uh, I'm, I'm only missing a tomato and a bigger plate. 
On their plate, there were two fried eggs, two sausages, some bacon, three hash browns, uh, baked beans, black pudding, mushrooms, and four triangles of toast. The post garnered up 22,000 upvotes, but more than 2,130 people commenting on it to share their thoughts. As it's fair to say that uh, many people were unimpressed with the breakfast, with one person going uh, as far to say it belonged in the trash. Um, one person said, you're missing the proper English bacon, mate, not the American stuff that comes in strips. Bangers aren't, aren't blackened enough, and those uh, triangular foreign things with rounded corners, uh, fried half tomatoes would negate the cholesterol levels in the traditional manner. Hash browns look like you just uh, wave them in the oven instead of actually cooking them, pal. Uh, I think you missed the trash can, said enough. I wonder if the traditional red coats would go for the red sauce or the brown sauce. But there might be another war that could break out with Americans disgusted by baked beans at breakfast. And finally, a woman gets revenge on cheating ex by marrying his mistress boyfriend. Jay took to TikTok to share how she met her husband through the her woman's ex, her ex-boyfriend supposedly cheated on her with and uses can't decide if it's a love story indeed toxic. A woman has revealed how she uh, got sweet revenge on her ex-boyfriend who she claims cheated on her. Jay Purvis shared the story on how she ended up marrying her mistress's boyfriend. In a clip that had been viewed more than six million times on TikTok, Jade explained that she was in a relationship with her boyfriend for three years and then uh, then was even engaged to be married when uh, he claims that she uh, that he cheated on her. Jade from Ayrshire, Scotland, also claims a woman in question was also cheating on her own boyfriend, who she'd been with for five years. Understandably, both partners were gutted when they found out and decided to meet up. Jade says her boyfriend and I decided to get our own revenge. He drove 188 miles to see me, and he, and he didn't leave, and that was seven years ago. Um, I mean, in this case, though, it really was a case of something new, something old, and something borrowed, including bodily juices. Well, that's almost it for me. Uh, we're going to end with a little poem uh, in a second or so. Um, but uh, we didn't even cover um, the uh, issue that I had earlier today when I called somebody on FaceTime. And I'm going to let you know what happened uh, tomorrow. Uh, and uh, and also, um, my uh, my corgi's gone into heat and is having those uh, adolescent lady problems uh, and all sorts of uh, carnages ensuing. And I'm being probably a bad dog dad, I think, in this situation. Uh, also, Zoom meetings. Have you ever spent, uh, you know, maybe five or ten minutes getting ready? How quickly have you got ready in the past? I'm going to tell you how quickly I did. And also, uh, those uh, cool cats who listen to very obscure type of indie music. Uh, I've created a new radio station for them, basically. And some of the songs that they may be listening to, we'll go over that tomorrow. And the mysterious burnt logs in the wood everything else wasn't burnt but there was a few random burnt logs scattered what could it mean and this one goes out to my sister claire um one of her favorite authors margaret atwood and it's february winter time to eat fat and watch hockey in the pewter mornings the cat a black fur sausage with yellow houdini eyes jumps up onto the bed and tries to get onto my head it's his way of telling whether or not i'm dead if I'm not, he wants to be scratched. If I am, he'll think of something. He settles on my chest, breathing his breath of burped up meat and musty sofas, purring like a washboard. Some other tomcat, not yet a, a, a capon, has been spaying our front door, declaring war. It's all about sex and territory, which are uh, what should, will finish us off in the long run. Some cat owners around here would snip a few testicles. If we are wise, 
uh, hominids uh, were sensibly, we would do that too. Or eat our young, like sharks. But it's love that does us in, over and over again. He shoots, he scores, and famine crouches in the bedsheets, ambushing the uh, pulsing eider down, and the wind chill factor hits 30 below, and the pollution pours out of our chimneys to keep us warm. February, months of despair with a skewered heart in the centre, I think dire thoughts and lust for french fries and a splash of vinegar. Cat, enough of you greedy whining in your small pink bumhole, off my face, you're the life principle, more or less, or so get going. On a little optimism around here, get rid of death, celebrate increase, make it be spring. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. It's chappy out for now, but I shall return tomorrow for another podcast. Keep coming, cauliflower cheese. Uh, follow me uh, on uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, and uh, also across uh, Apple Music, uh, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, all of the, all of the above. Uh, but for me, I will be back on a, on a, a trusty steed on the morrow.